This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Power Athlete Radio. This week, we are stoked to welcome Steph Godro to the show. She is the creative culinary mind behind Stupid Easy Paleo, a blog turned brand dedicated to making paleo cooking accessible for the everyman. Our conversation with her is like a delicious prime rib, meaty, satiating, and extremely nutrient dense. Find out what it takes to gradually transition others into a more healthy diet without having to commit to eating the quote Gucci level of paleo. Also, Steph reminds us how to set ourselves and our athletes up for success when it comes to meal preparation, particularly when we're talking about our law enforcement and firefighter folks. Find out about all the exciting things that are going on at Stupid Easy Paleo. Between book touring, coaching, and her new podcast, Harder to Kill Radio, Steph is a busy woman who is feeding folks with knowledge at every turn. Here she is in episode 116. Power Athlete Nation, what is happening? Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. This is Denny. As always, I'm with Callie, Luke, Tex, and Levi. Well, maybe not, maybe not always Levi. Uh, sometimes he'll show up, sometimes he won't. Uh, our guest today is Stephanie Gadro from Stupid Easy Paleo. Stephanie, how you doing? I'm awesome. How are you guys doing? Is it Stephanie or Steph? Pretty much the only person that calls me Stephanie is my mother, so everyone okay. calls me Steph. I mean, you and I, we didn't really get a chance to kind of talk a little bit before, but your mom and I did. And she kept referring to you as Stephanie, so it just kind of rubbed off on me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, if I'm in trouble, Stephanie is what I get called. <laughs> right. Um, well, I, you know what? Maybe we can just kind of kick the show off with a little uh, kind of an introduction of yourself and your website and kind of uh, like your journey and, and how you got to uh, the level of awesomeness that you currently reside. Yeah. Do you just want me to start talking? Because this could go on for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, just, just let it all out. Yeah, that, back. Better you than us, Steph. I'll give you the condensed version So, um, uh, in the relevant points. So I grew up as a pretty athletic kid. I was involved in youth sports, and I was given the, given the ultimatum when I was probably about 10 or so um, by my mom to either choose dance or soccer because we were, I was doing both with my sister, and she chose dance, and I chose soccer. So there you go. That set me up for pretty much the rest of my life as an athlete and somebody who thrives on competition and, and loves to be doing something active. So that's just kind of something to keep in mind. Um, but I was always – I always felt like I was struggling with my body. Um, I was always, you know, more muscular than the other girls and bigger and – I had some like health issues that weren't, you know, I wasn't sick, but I didn't feel great. 
And so that kind of stayed with me all the way through my teenage years. And then when I was in my early 20s, I got into mountain biking. So, um, and then in college I was studying uh, biology and human physiology. So I was definitely a science nerd. I love to compete, and I'm kind of setting up the relevant points here. Love to love to compete in sports. And I found mountain biking when I was in my early 20s. And right around the same time, I started teaching high school science. So I was a high school science teacher teaching chemistry and biology for about 12 years. You know, I was active. Like I said, I was mountain biking, and I was trying to do everything right by eating lots of whole grains and lots of soy and less fat, you know, those kind of like a, a low, extremely low fat diet. And I, so I always had this aspect of my personality or, or my health where I was always struggling with food. I was, food kind of felt like it was my enemy and it was all I could do to try to figure out how to feel better so that I could keep doing, you know, keep riding, keep mountain biking and doing the sports that I, that I loved. So I was kind of at this crossroads um, where I was trying to figure out how am I gonna how am I gonna like continue to eat well but not be fighting against food and I guess that's kind of where the ultimate struggle came from was feeling like I was addicted to sugar and feeling like my food choices were kind of out of control and then some of the healthier food choices air quotes that I was trying to make weren't actually making me feel better in some cases they were making me feel worse so that was all kind of an undercurrent you know, my health and what was going on with sports and whatnot. Um, and then in 2009, a friend of mine who I was racing mountain bikes with was like, oh, hey, we're, I just picked up this book about something called the paleo diet, and this is what it is. And she described it, and I thought, that sounds insane. Like, the basis of my diet was basically whole grains and, like I said, soy and lots of fake fats and low-fat cheese and all that sort of stuff. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to give it a try. And at the time, I was racing endurance distance mountain biking, so anywhere from 4 to 24 hours racing. And it was a, it was a pretty huge jump for me to try to think, how am I going to actually change what I'm eating? But I read The Paleo Diet for Athletes by Dr. Cordain and Joe Friel, and I knew Friel's name because he's very big in the cycling community and the endurance community as a coach and stuff like that. And so I thought, well, all right, if Friel's in on this, it's got to be good. And so I decided to have my holiday fun and eat all the food. And then uh, I put a date on my calendar that January 10th, 2010, I was going to start cold turkey. Like I was just going to clean out my cabinets go shopping, get some cookbooks, and figure out how to make this paleo thing work. And then within a couple of months, a lot of these issues that I had been dealing with all my life started to go away. And I started to feel better, and I started to kind of recognize what it could feel like to actually feel completely healthy. And my riding continued to get better, which is, you know, as an athlete, is kind of the ultimate, the ultimate test. It, that was really important to me. So was the way I was eating going to support the sport that I was invested in? And the answer was yes. So that was in 2010. Uh, that year I also tried CrossFit for the first time, which is in the summer of 2010. And immediately I was hooked. And so I decided I was going to do CrossFit to supplement my cycling training. And as I got stronger, 
I started to get better on the bike. Um, so that's kind of like that laid the foundation for stupid easy paleo and kind of what I'm doing today in so far as I had the, the dietary component kind of nailed down. I was feeling better. My sugar addictions went away and I was still continuing to excel at my sport and get stronger. So that's kind of initially how all of these different pieces came together. And then in 2011, I started stupideasypaleo.com because some friends of mine were like, well, you really like to cook, but why don't you just put all your recipes on a blog? So I was like, all right. <laughs> so I started Stupid Easy Paleo as a way to just keep track of my recipes and share them with other people. But I never intended that I was eventually going to leave my teaching job or do this blogging thing full time. But it happened. <laughs> so that's kind of a, that's kind of the short version of how I got to this point. And now you're an internet sensation, basically. Now I spend my days on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. I, I'm, I guess my first question is when you made the transition to go from what seemed like a, like a very ambitious, healthy diet of these whole grains, um, you know, super low fat, did you have any, were there any adverse effects when you first tried to transition? Some people have a hard time where they deal with, they struggle with eliminating certain things that they had sort of, uh, you know, rested their hat on in terms of things that they knew they could snack on or things that they, they thought they knew were good for them. Did you have any kind of growing pains as you, as you went to paleo? Yeah. So it was interesting when I, when I said I kind of went like cold Turkey and I started, um, most of what I ate was kind of along a strict paleo template. Um, I definitely looking back, wasn't eating enough carbs. I know I wasn't. And I think I was just like overall pretty resilient and healthy. So it didn't really kill me like it does some people. Um, but I kind of had some foods in there. Like I would eat cliff bars and stuff like that for on the bike. And then it took about a year, almost a year. And I thought, you know, what would happen if I just took all of it out? And so I actually did a whole 30 that summer, the summer of 2011, I think it was. And that really changed stuff for me. Cause I was still really kind of, a, I was still having problems with sugar. Like I wasn't eating crappy sugar. Like you would, you know, like baked goods and muffins and donuts and whatever, but I still would find ways to sneak it in, in, a, in an unhealthy way. And so I decided for me that I would do the whole 30 and see if I could kind of kick the sugar thing once and for also, for example, Trader Joe's dried mango, right? Like I know so many people that have issues with this food because it's so sweet and I could eat a whole bag and I'm like, well, it's dried mango. I mean, it's fruit, it's healthy. But for me, that only fed that issue that I had with sugar. You know what I mean? So I, when I did the Whole30, I was able to kind of get rid of some of those other foods, like the Cliff Bars, which have oats in them and some other things, and really figure out which foods weren't working well for me. So as, as kind of a general rule for me, I don't eat dried fruit. If I'm, you know, if I was dying and I had nothing else available, I probably would. But I know for me, it just doesn't, it doesn't foster a healthy psychological relationship with food, so to say. So by really kind of doing the whole 30, I was able to decide how to customize paleo for me rather than just following that like strict set of rules that everybody's kind of exposed to when they start. Sure. And I, I have been a uh, dried mango enabler. In fact, uh, when I used to coach, <laughs> when I have coached with Ben Oliver, 
I used to say like, hey, I'm going to Trader Joe's. Does anybody want anything? And mm -hmm. then without doubt would always say like dried mango, dried mango. And I finally just stopped asking and I just started <laughs> buying normally and I just became like the like like helping and maybe this is you know sharing too much of his yeah, Kelly, life. <laughs> let's let's just use fake names like Ben O. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I you know, I think he's uh he's currently rehabilitated from that since yeah. I stopped buying it for him. <laughs> but but it's the way I show love stuff, you know. So yeah, um, gotta, gotta feed everybody. Yeah, well, it it sounds like uh, that thirty that thirty days. Can you just explain to people who aren't familiar with Whole Thirty, um, you know, what that process is like? Yeah, so it's I I kind of describe it as like a almost like a thirty day paleo boot camp. Um, and I'm a I'm an envoy, a community envoy for them, and I've worked really closely with Dallas and Melissa, so I feel pretty comfortable speaking about it, but. Basically, it's a way to eliminate potentially problematic foods from your diet for 30 days, and there, there are definitely ground rules and guidelines and community support, which is always super helpful. But then the idea is you, at the end, can reintroduce foods that you eliminated in a systematic way and learn how those foods either work well for you or don't work well for you. And then you get to kind of, as they say, ride your own bike. You know, so you, it's not necessarily like you're just avoiding foods forever because you saw they were on some list of no foods. You know what I mean? You get to really say, hey, actually, that food doesn't bother me, so including it in my diet is probably not a big deal. Or, wow, I really learned that that thing just is not suiting me very well. Yeah, so, you know, it's a super scientific approach. I mean, it's just it allows, it, it allows like just the foods to speak for themselves. It's, you don't have to guess. You can stop making excuses for certain things that you're like, oh, but this really doesn't affect me that much. And then, you know, when you take this Whole30 approach, then it really, you know, it, it really does sort of magnify the foods that you've maybe been turning a blind eye to, right? Yeah, because you're, you're taking foods out that could potentially, for example, irritate your gut. And so you allow the gut to heal. You allow your hormones to kind of normalize a little bit and you get to really see what it's like when they, you, then you kind of reintroduce it into a blank slate instead of having it there as always a low level in your diet. And it, the, physio, the physiology and the, kind of the physiological basis and the pragmatic basis of the Whole30 really speaks to me and my background and the, the pragmatic nature that I bring to Stupid Easy Paleo, which is like there has to be a practical approach to food just a his, causing a historical reenactment or trying to figure out a historical reenactment of quote paleolithic times isn't as relevant to humans now as the way our bodies physiologically react to certain foods like that's you can't get more relevant than that and and you know we have a lot to learn in terms of the science of it all but it's really hard to argue with somebody when they say you know what i eat that and it makes me feel like shit yeah. Versus I eat this food and I feel great. So, you know, the N equals one is really important. And, and that's why for me, that approach just makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> we're not trying to make it caveman times. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess I'm just curious if you had any static from the people in your life, because as we know, like food is just such, it's so intertwined with us culturally <laughs> and, you know, and when you go home for the holidays, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of pressure if you're, if you're sort of eating for, 
um, you know, eating for health and, and you have now, you're, you're empowered by this information, this new knowledge, new shit has come to light, as it mm -hmm. were. And, uh, and, and you want to sort of just, you want to perpetuate that in your life, but, but you have, you have, people can have a tendency to kind of run into barriers with family and friends who are maybe not, uh, you know, maybe don't understand or aren't prioritizing it in the same way. Did you have any experiences like that? Oh, for sure. For sure. And, uh, I just was visiting my family and I'll use them as an example. Um, it took a couple years, I think, for my family to stop asking, are you still doing that weird diet? <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. And now I know that if I go home, I stop at the grocery store and I stock up on the things that I eat and whatnot. But yeah, it's hard at first. And, you know, I, I, I try to tell people this. It's like, if you're going to say, Thanksgiving dinner and your grandma is going to make you, you know, like the apple pie that you've always eaten your whole life and it's really special and it's either A, going to break her heart that you turned her down um, or B, it just is going to cause a, a lot of discomfort with having to explain yourself and this and that and if, if you're not maybe a celiac, so it's not really, really, really damaging to eat a food like that. Sometimes you may want to just suck it up and kind of get over it. Um, and I've, I've taken kind of that approach over the years. At first I was a lot more strict with what I ate because I was trying to figure it all out. But yeah, there's definitely, um, there's definitely a few circumstances where, you know, family is the hardest to try to explain things to and, at first, when you start eating a new way or you start doing something new and you're really excited about it, you want to tell everybody and almost like convert them. <laughs> but family and friends are close friends are probably some of the hardest to to bring into that fold. So I always you know, make the recommendation that people just kind of lead by example and, and do their thing and stay strong with what they believe is the right thing to do. And uh, you know, there are ways to diffuse a situation if it gets a little escalated and a little uncomfortable with people. But ultimately, trying to change someone's mind, sight unseen, is really, really difficult. So just kind of do your own thing and, and, you know, row your own boat. And if people are interested and they want to know more, they'll come talk to you. And that's kind of what's happened over the last five and a half years, is that people will get curious and they'll ask, even my family, my sisters, uh, one of my sisters is kind of paleo and the other one is um, a bit more than the other, but it took probably four or five years for them to get curious about that stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a good approach. I mean, uh, I know that the times where I've had to deal with that static and we all have, it's just kind of like my coping mechanism is I'm fucking song and dance. I basically do like a Houdini slash smoke and mirrors approach so when someone asks me oh like why are you like you, you know why don't you want me this this is delicious like just try a little just try a little or something like that and it's just you know number one it's just like I don't really like it I don't really care about certain foods right. um, and then I, I sort of just change the subject immediately and try to think of a story that is hilarious or <laughs> you know try to like do like you know I'm up there with like a cane and a top hat trying to distract from like the issue at hand and usually that works um, yeah. But, but yeah, I think that's, I mean, we all kind of deal with that. <clears throat> yeah, there's, it's sometimes bringing, you know, deflecting it or bringing humor into the situation is one of the best ways to handle it and not taking it too seriously, even if it's really, really important to you. And if you're getting a lot of flack from it, just 
kind of letting it roll off your back. And um, it's easier said than done sometimes because it, it feels like a personal attack on you and what you think is really important. But ultimately, that's the other person's crap, not yours, right? Like how they react. You can't control how somebody's going to react to you. You can only control how you react to the situation. Yeah. Um, do you think that people are people as a in general view paleo in in a true light, or do you think it gets you know like a, a bad rap? Oh gosh. I know um, that's such a can of worms, but like you know, yeah. some people hear it and they kind of they associate it with something maybe that it's that it's really not, you know. Well, the media loves to have its sound bites, and the media loves to pick up pick up on sensationalized stories. And so, and then bend and twist. And we know that that's, it's really hard to get unbiased information through the media. So, you know, if we're talking about kind of mainstream and what people are being fed by the media, I think paleo kind of has a negative connotation to it. Um, a lot of people are turned off by the term. They don't understand it. They think it's all about being a caveman. And I think it's time to get rid of the caveman meme sort of like way of representing paleo because it's way more progressive than that now but we're still kind of stuck with that ball and chain. And I wish we could just get rid of the, the caveman thing altogether. But, um, you know, it's, it's hard. People have a lot of misconceptions about what paleo means and they, you know, they'll dismiss it without really knowing the truth. And that's probably the thing that I have the hardest time with. And, you know, then there's also the issue that paleo is this single word label to describe something that's incredibly complicated. And we use it as a heuristic, right? It's like a simple way of explaining something that's actually really complicated. And so it, you can't explain all of the nuance of what paleo means in just one word. And there are, you know, it's, it's a, it's, I almost said 50 shades of gray. That was a really terrible thing to say. Yes. Um, it, 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 there's like a spectrum along or continuum along which I would say paleo exists in terms of dietary choices and it can mean something totally different from one person to the other, which is why it's hard to use a single word label for it. And I think they're just like any other dietary paradigm, whether we're talking about vegetarianism, veganism, raw foodism, whatever you, whatever, you know, low fat, no fat, whatever you want to call it. Like, there, I think there's still ways you can do some dietary paradigms better than others, right? Like if you're going to be a vegetarian, you could subsist on processed food or you could take a more real food approach. Paleo is the same way. And now there are so many prepackaged foods and processed foods that quote meet the paleo standards by technicality, but they're really not within the true spirit of what it means to eat a very, um, you know, an unprocessed real food based diet that support that's nutrient dense and so on and so forth. So I think we really struggle and it's, it's been really frustrating as somebody who's been in the community for all this time to, you know, you kind of step outside your bubble and you get whacked over the head by people who just are like paleo's bullshit and you guys are causing damage to other people. And, you know, you really feel that there's a lot of hatred toward it in, in some cases when you step outside the bubble of the community. Yeah. And I, and I think that's where there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too is as paleo is sort of, uh, I don't know, tried to weasel its way into the mainstream or more people are aware of it. When you go to like progressive cities or progressive like downtown areas or whatever, 
it used to be that like okay paleo would slowly start to creep its way on the menu like paleo dishes or like it would just say like these items are gluten free now right. you're finding entire menus that are devoted to um, it's and they they don't even call it paleo which is why I love it it's just mm -hmm. eating like whole foods that are you know uh, prepared with fresh ingredients and locally sourced type things and like I love that that's not even hard to find anymore if you live in the right area or you're you know within ear earshot of like a you know a decently populated city like you can get all of that in just so, in so many restaurants have you uh, have you noticed that trend kind of changing and and uh, becoming like a thing now? For sure. We were just in Manhattan and we got to eat at Hugh Kitchen, which is, you know, they don't necessarily market themselves like it doesn't say paleo kitchen on it, but they market themselves for sure as um, as being friendly to paleo. And, you know, we've got paleo food truck here in San Diego and there are definitely more choices, um, but it seems to be really still it's just in pockets. You know, and if you travel to certain places in the country or internationally, it's really, really tough. And a lot of people recognize gluten-free as being a thing, which is a great step forward. Um, I'm going to go so far as to say, I used to live in the UK for a little while um, when I was living a Z there, but, you know, their gluten-free is like a much more popular thing, I think, than even here in the States. But yet, I think a lot more foods there have gluten in them. <laughs> you know, like you go get sausage and it's got gluten in it as a, as a filler, essentially. So there's there seems to be a lot more recognition of, of gluten intolerances and stuff like that and celiac and whatnot. And I think we're starting to get that here. I'm noticing it more on menus. It, I almost never see paleo, I, but I often see gluten-free or soy-free or grain-free, you know, that sort of stuff. And so I think we're getting there slowly but surely, but I still think the word paleo is, um, it, it's, it's an uphill battle, you know, and I, I even see it kind of in the blogging community. Folks that pretty much use a paleo template and what they do, whether they're providing recipes or it's just their philosophy. If they're not, if they don't have paleo in their names, they seem to get picked up a lot more by the mainstream media. And, you know, whether it's like a, gosh, I don't even know, like a Buzzfeed or a Huffington Post or, you know, these bigger news outlets, it almost seems like they're, they're getting a little bit more traction because they're not pigeonholing themselves or they're not calling themselves paleo. So it's just Steph, something. It's just something that I've noticed. Steph, I'm curious. Have you ever been consulted uh, about your recipes by a restaurant or kind of seen your recipe used unasked? Oh, for sure. I'm um, not in a restaurant, but in online for sure. And uh, recently, I was working with a, a restaurant here in San Diego that's going to be opening that wants to offer some more paleo-friendly options. So that was cool. Um, so I got to, to work with the owner on that sort of stuff and, and at least kind of steer him in the direction to go or, we, you know, we just kind of talked about that stuff. I've never seen, like, my recipe per se used by a retail establishment or a, a restaurant establishment, but for sure online and ebooks and whatnot, like, that's a full-time job to track that stuff down. And I try not to go looking for it unless somebody brings it to my attention. And I know that's kind of ignorance is bliss, but it's like the tip of the iceberg. You find one and there's like a hundred more. I'm, I'm curious, are recipes protected since you put them out in the book or is that your creative material? Well, you can copyright the instructions of a recipe. Technically, you can't copyright the ingredients or their proportions. 
Although it's, so it's, there is some gray area there and it's, it's kind of commonly accepted that an adaptation would be three major changes or more. So, you know, sometimes I'll see it just copied verbatim and it's really easy to tell that it's been lifted. Sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know, like, hey, it was inspired by, but maybe there's, there's no, like, hey, thanks, shout out to this person for inspiring this recipe. So most people are pretty cool, but some people will just try to get away with it. Uh, Steph, what, do you, what would you say to people who say it's too expensive to eat paleo? Would you, would you say that it is more expensive or it, like, like just more even pointed way to ask a question? Is it more expensive to eat paleo than not? Um, if you decide that you want to eat the Gucci level of paleo, then <laughs> it certainly could be. But, you know, I think if you're on a budget and you're just trying to stick to the basics, you know, just eating meat and veggies and healthy fat and limiting your, um, your intake of, or your, your purchase of these kind of like processed foods or lower nutrient value foods, like if you're going to do a lot of baking, those ingredients are usually really expensive. You know, the almond flour and the maple syrup and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think that's where the costs add up sometimes and people don't realize it. Um, and there are ways to kind of fill in the gaps. I think if you're like, hey, white potatoes are cool with me, um, white rice is cool with me, those things can kind of round out your, your daily intake if you're looking for a little bit more caloric intake or you're trying to increase your carb intake and that sort of thing. And you know, potatoes and rice are pretty affordable. So, you know, they're definitely, as I said, there's kind of this continuum of, of what you can eat. You, like I said, you could eat the Gucci level of paleo, or you could be like, hey, this is poor man's paleo. I'm just going to eat regular chicken from the regular grocery store and, you know, eat regular vegetables, non-organic. There's there are definitely ways to make it more affordable than not. And I can't speak to having uh, a large family, although I do have a husband that has an enormous appetite. But um, you know, a friend of mine has a couple kids and her husband, and uh, they they all eat along this paleo sort of diet framework. You know, they're not strict, so to say, but they eat basic, home cooked, hearty filling food without. And she's done the the calculations on it and comes out cheaper. You know, think about what you'd spend on a, a package of pre made cookies or stuff like that. So it's all about how you're going to get creative with it, too. If you're going to eat ribeye every meal, well, cost is going to go up there, too. So just kind of being smart Steph, about your Steph, what would you say the most Gucci paleo foods are? Oh, gosh. You know, it would be the highest, highest level of everything. Almond so flour is like gold. Yeah, so like you're you know things like tiger nut flour and like all these really obscure flours and nuts and all like the highest quality of grass-fed meat and look I totally get where there's a sustainability piece to all of this but for some people they're like okay I'm just trying to figure out how to not eat bread for breakfast lunch and dinner they're not yeah. ready yet to make that you know, to climb up that ladder, so to say, like, don't put them at the top because they're not going to, they're not going to succeed. So you kind of introduce people to it slowly. And then maybe over time they're like, Hey, actually, I know I've heard that eating, if I'm going to eat a, a fattier cut of meat, it's better that it's grass fed or pastured. So I'm going to spend a little bit of my extra money there. And right. So they start what? to piece it together. 
I just want to make a formal announcement to all, all the listeners that I'm going Gucci Paleo <laughs> today. So I'm going to get some okay. tiger nut flour and definitely the most expensive grass-fed ribeye that I can find. Yeah, for sure. Or, you know, things like um, big bottles of MCT oil and uh, all only organic food and, you know, or only organic produce and and like I said, that stuff has a place. And if you're if you've got some disposable income and you can spend it a little bit more in one place than the other, certainly do what you can. But Luke, what about, I, what about Luke, cows I, that were fed lobster? <laughs> Ooh, lobster fed cows. I'm doing that too. Luke, I thought you were on a spending freeze. Well, hey, listen, Ashley doesn't listen to the podcast, so she doesn't have to know about Gucci Paleo. Callie, keep your mouth shut and then move on. Well, it's not that hard. Dude, Gucci Paleo. But you know what? That people are always kind of looking for like a niche, in a niche, right? So Steph, I was curious. Like, do you see any kind of like trends, you know, brewing like that are gonna, you know, that are in a, um, getting ready to be launched, like like paleo for kids or or paleo for pets, you know? Or what about like vegetarian paleo? Yeah. So um, like. I guess I would call it vegan paleo is kind of becoming a thing, which is, I, I don't quite understand it, but I think it's just more of that whole foods based, maybe you're sprouting and soaking your legumes or you're sprouting and soaking your grains and, and that sort of stuff. So maybe it's kind of like a Weston A. Price meets vegan, I guess, meets paleo. So that's, I think that's becoming more popular as people are trying to figure out either how to transition out of a an animal-free diet to something that's a bit more like, you know, it has maybe a bit more of a real food approach to it instead of having all the processed food. Um, so that's definitely a thing. Like the whole, the pet thing is huge. But gosh, I'm always trying to think about like, what's the next big thing going to be? And it seems to be, you know, like bone broth is still really popular. I don't know if it's hit its apex quite yet. But I'm always trying to figure out what the next super trendy thing is going to be. I haven't been able to figure it out. Hey, Steph. Uh, it's Steve here. How are you doing? Hey, how are you? Doing great. Um, I, I just have a comment real quick about the the, the whatever, the tiger nut flower. Yeah. Um, all of that, like, it classifies as paleo, right, by, like, the, the textbook definition. But it's, like you said earlier, it's not um, – I mean, it's against the whole ethos of the paleo movement, which is to eat things that you can, like, kill, pick up, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, it's, it, you know, it kind of falls under this umbrella of baking and, and kind of low-nutrient value foods. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, uh, I was hardcore paleo for a while, and now I consider myself, like, reformed. Um, <laughs> uh and so uh, some of the things that informed me have been science. And I was wondering, you probably haven't read this book because it's an obscure anthropological uh, tome called The 10,000-Year Explosion. Uh, and the central thesis is that uh, humans are probably, if not the most rapidly evolving mammal on the planet because of the introduction of the Industrial Revolution and new foodstuffs forcing those humans to survive, to rapidly evolve and like mutate genes to adapt to these new foods. So the whole mm -hmm. idea that eating these foods that might be detrimental to us is, is 
in a sense, fundamentally, it could be wrong because our genes are adapting to it so rapidly. I was just wondering if you had any comments on that. I've heard of that book, but I haven't had the chance to read it. Um, I wouldn't waste your time. <laughs> great thesis, but like I just told you the, the story. Yeah. You know, I think if we keep the focus on which foods work really well for us physiologically, it sort of makes sense. And and then again, there's that there, that aspect of psychological relationships that we have with food as well. We know that humans are wired uh, to crave things or seek things that are salty and sweet and fatty because those are represented, aside from the salt, but the sweet and the, the fatty components of food represented a dense source of energy for us. So we're kind of wired to really crave that sort of stuff or to seek it out. And, you know, we I think we're trying to get past the point of like fat is bad, that sort of thing. But when you combine and when you think about the fact that food scientists combine ultra sweet, ultra fatty and ultra salty things in order to get us to want more of it, you can see where the psychological relationship with food plays in there. And so in that respect, I think that's a we're, we're kind of with like not food with not with actual non food edibles or things that are just made up by humans, like, yeah, you're not going to find Cheetos out in the wild or, you know, Cheetos are an extremely processed food that are, it's designed to, hopefully I don't get sued by Frito-Lay here, um, but those types of foods are designed for us to crave them and want more of them. And when you think about the nutrient value to the caloric value, those two things don't match up. And so I think you're, I think you're right. There's a, there's a component that we're dealing with of these processed human designed foodstuffs that we're, we're kind of playing with fire in a way because you know we're not we're not we're not necessarily designed to have that much sweet that much salty that much fatty and kind of in the low nutrient content that we're currently experiencing in our modern society but Cheetos are gluten-free right <laughs> well they're, they're made from corn so they're not grain-free but um but yeah, they'd be gluten-free. So if you're on a gluten-free diet, I suppose that would be a, a snack you might choose. Uh, my question is now on to assessments. We can athletes can come to us for the first time. They can not tell us about previous injuries, and we ask them to do one or two movements, mm -hmm. and their movement doesn't lie. So I'm just curious about any assessments that you have that people come to you for help that they they don't try to lie to you, or you can mm -hmm. kind of sniff through the bullshit. Yeah, um, so I'm going to be starting some one-on-one -on -one coaching here, and I, I've done a little bit with a couple of friends of mine kind of off the record so I could test some of my systems and stuff like that. But the one, so one of the interesting things is when I get emails from people quite a bit, and they're just like, I need help, I keep gaining weight, or whatever, fill in the blank. Like, I need help, I can't sleep. And so you kind of dig through, and like there are always some questions that I start with, the really easy questions. And if I've gone through about half a dozen easy questions, like obvious things they could be doing wrong, and there's they've answered like, no, that's fine, no, that's fine. Oftentimes there is something that's kind of a landmine that people don't say. So for example, like if you're talking to somebody and they, it's all about asking good questions and being a good detective. But, you know, one of the things that has come up more than once with me is, like, I'll ask questions and somebody's like, I can't lose weight. You know, I'm, I'm stalling out on my, on my, my, my progress. I've hit a plateau, blah, blah, blah. And so I'll go through that, that sort of series of questions. 
and almost always <laughs> I'm like, are you on any medication? And that's, you know, I haven't worked with them yet, but sometimes it's one of those things and they're like, oh yeah, I have hypothyroidism. And you're like, oh shit, well, that's an important thing. So a lot of times people aren't, like you said, upfront with their, the big thing, you know, like, oh, hey, I had a knee replacement or, you know, I had this traumatic injury to my hip or whatever. But if you're, if you're good, right? So in your case, you're observant because you're watching them. In my case, if I was going to work with somebody, I would ask a lot of really great questions and, you know, maybe at some point you'd get into a, a bit more on the, the tech side, the techie side with data and stuff like that. But usually you can kind of sniff things out pretty easily if somebody's like, oh, this is falling apart and I've tried this and that and this and that. And they're like, oh, by the way, I have adrenal fatigue or <laughs> I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis or I have some other kind of, uh, I have some other kind of really, you know, serious autoimmune disorder or an addiction to dried mangoes. Or in addition to dried mangoes, I was working with a friend of mine, uh, an athlete that I used to train with at Invictus, and um, he came to me asking for nutrition help. He's like, you know, I'm just really not having a hard time in the gym. I'm, you know, I'm training six days a week, and I'm putting in all the time I should be in the gym, but I don't know what's going on. So one of the first suspicions I have with people is obviously their carb intake, um, especially if they tell me they're eating a paleo-type diet, which... I'm not a huge fan of super low carb um, paleo for athletes and people who are super active. But one of my, so we kind of like, I suspected that that was pretty low. And the other thing I suspected was pretty low was protein intake. And when I had him record his food for three to five days, the numbers, right, the numbers came back and they didn't lie. So at about 185 pounds, he was eating about 120 grams of protein a day. So that right there is, a huge red flag and then the carb intake came back really low as well so you know sometimes there are some really obvious things that it's really hard for people to assess themselves you know so you're like you guys are saying somebody will say oh my movement's fine because they don't really know what's normal or what's kind of optimal and then you you observe them or you have them give you some some information and it becomes to us it's super obvious to them not so much uh, listen, Steph, I, I'm, I'm a paleo-ish person. I believe in it. I think it's uh, helped a lot of people, and you, there are a lot of positive results that occur uh, almost as sort of like a second tier, like the better sleeping, obviously better recovery and all that stuff, but, uh, sure. you know, sleeping through the night, um, lower hypertension, all these all these different things. But is has there ever been a time where paleo wasn't appropriate for someone that you have dealt with, or can you think of where the result was, you know, maybe less than optimal or less than what you were expecting? Just because I like to play devil's advocate. Yeah, for sure. So again, um, so well, the first example I use is my husband, which you guys all, almost all of you know. So Z um, has been paleo for a long time, like before probably most of us had even heard of it. So I think 2007, 2008. And uh, over the years, he was dealing with some pretty severe eczema, like flare-ups, I guess I would call it. And so he was, you know, he's eating everything that's supposedly correct on a paleo diet, like doing lots of fermented foods to support the gut health and doing bone broth and um, eating, you know, lots of meat and, and eating plenty of vegetable matter and healthy fats and so on and so forth, but yet his eczema still continued to flare up. So it took a really long time for him to figure out that actually he has something called a histamine intolerance, 
which means that foods that are widely consumed on paleo, things like jerky, avocado, even things like citrus fruit, um, bone broth, fermented foods, all of these foods are really terrible for people that have histamine intolerance. So that's one example of where knowing yourself and doing the work to figure out which foods work well for you and which foods don't are, it's critical, right? So that's one example. Uh, and the other example I run into all the time is athletes um, not eating enough carbohydrate intake and the protein certainly as well. The carb intake is so huge. Most people are have lots and lots of stressors in their lives besides the physical activity, the, you know, the recovery that they need, um, how they're pushing their bodies in the gym or in whatever training they're doing. And the carb intake piece is really big. I mean, I've seen people go into kind of like an adrenal fatigue slash hypothyroid state or, you know, what we call like a depressed metabolism or slower metabolism or in some cases hormonal imbalances because of restricting carbs, whether by accident or on purpose. You know, and so, you know, people catch on to sound bites and they think, well, uh, you know, a ketogenic diet can be really good and it can, you know, I'll be really lean and I'm going to be burning body fat like a mofo and all this other stuff, but the type of training that they're doing isn't necessarily compatible and then compound on top of it all the other stressors that they have going on in their life. So whether it's, you know, work, relationships, nutrient intake, environmental toxicity, like you name it, right? So we have all these other stressors that are happening. And for a lot of people, it's too much. You know, they're like, it's, it's too extreme in one direction or the other. So they're like, I heard like zero carb diets are awesome because you can burn body fat and look amazing. And then the, the wheels fall off the wagon and you think like you guys kind of chuckle, but this is what I hear. And so, you know, I think it's really important that people figure out what their context is. And it, it's hard because you can go online and you can find a macro calculator that will spit out some random number of macros that you should eat every day. But it takes no other information into account other than your activity level and your like your height and your weight. Right. So. <laughs> It's so much more complicated than that. Like humans are complex. We, you know, we all have what I call that baggage. So not like necessarily relationship baggage. But we have health baggage. We have fitness baggage. We have injuries that we've carried with us. Like that all plays a huge part in what's optimal for us to to take in and not. And then your know, macros are only part of the picture because you could eat your macros worth of M&Ms every day, but the nutrient content of that is going to be pretty shit poor. So like, you know what I mean? We're always, people are looking for the simplest answer, but oftentimes there is no simple answer and you have to play around with it and you have to be willing to not only experiment a little bit, but to pay attention to things that are going on in your life and try to connect the dots. And so if people are, I've had more than, more than, more people that I can count who have come to me and they're describing what they eat every day. And I'm like, maybe try adding in a bit more carb carbohydrate intake. And then they, they get back to me a month or two later and they're like, oh my God, I feel so much better. I'm performing better. Like my body composition is getting better, you know? And so it's all stuff again, that sometimes we're not good at being objective with ourselves and figuring that sort of stuff out. So having a good coach or having somebody that can help you work through that is sometimes the help that you, that you kind of need. But yeah, I would say the carb intake piece and then just like, out and out if you have some kind of thing that you're working with, like whether it's an autoimmune thing or 
a gut health problem, you know, that sort of stuff, you've got to sometimes dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, I think I think that's a really great point too. Just adding context to the diet. I mean, like you said, it's not nearly as simple as people make it out to be. However, uh, I think simple things oftentimes get overlooked. Like, is your diet compatible with the type of training you're doing? People want, people want like the ketogenic thing was such a brilliant example because people want that broad sweeping answer that you know they don't under they don't understand the, the type of training that's being coupled with a diet like that that will allow you to sustain that type of diet. Are you in trouble? Are the police? Uh, <laughs> we live on a, on a pretty busy street and there's a firehouse down the street, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, and yeah, I mean, I think that that's just a really, a really excellent point. We oftentimes run into that where just, you know, people, they, they want, they want to be, no pun intend, intended, but fed the answers and yeah. they, they want to just hope that miraculously it works for them the way it worked for person X, Y, or Z. Sure. But they have no fucking clue what those people are doing, not only for their training, but for their sleeping, but and for, like, maybe they're just professional athletes who take two naps a day, whatever, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I, I just, yeah, I think it's important to just have a lot of transparency when it comes to that and empower people by saying, like, okay, you are an individual, and if, if this is, if you're eating for performance, uh, you know, then you need to you need to dive deep into your your own blood work and and your own training and find out what's compatible. Absolutely. I have a quick question. You had it's Levi here. You mentioned that the fire truck is going by, and <laughs> I work with firefighters. Do yeah. you have you gone by the house and kind of worked with any firefighters, or have you been in that world at all? You know, just um, by virtue of working out at a CrossFit gym, and and so I don't do CrossFit really anymore, but I do weightlift at across the gym and I coach at across the gym. So we have a lot of folks who are either first responders or LEO or nurses, you know, people that are working long shifts and long hours. Um, there are some pretty good paleo, like more type of paleo accounts that are actually geared more toward firefighters um, in that sort of environment. And I haven't personally worked and done any outreach. I mean, I know Rob Wolf is doing a ton of stuff in mm -hmm. up in Reno with you know public the public uh, public servants servants and first responders right. and stuff like right. that. I personally haven't, but I've seen a lot of those folks come through the gym and the struggles that they're dealing with. You know, f people like nurses that are working overnights or they're working you know three twelves or four tens and they're not getting any sleep and and that sort of stuff. So you know, it's pretty common for me to come. In contact with those sorts of folks, but I haven't done any any work specifically with them. With them. Although I was going to be teaming up with a friend of mine here in San Diego to do some stuff with the police academy, and we're still trying to get that all taken care of. Dude, yeah. Steph, you know what you should do is, uh, I mean, from just my cliched understanding of uh, firefighters, uh, I think you know they do those big family meals. You should do yeah. like a paleo version of like what's easy to make for like mass quantities of of just just big bros you know right and that's what I was alluding to because you know they if, if they're at a high call volume station where they're running anywhere from 10 to 18 calls a day they don't have a lot of time to food prep so what would you sure. recommend as being a you know either recipes or methods to help them overcome that objective oh my gosh um, get a bunch of slow cookers yeah and, for sure. yeah and do a bunch of stuff like that um, try and at least have one day a week where you're doing some batch prepping you know, making making use of, of that time where you're kind of like, even if you're just chopping up a bunch of veggies so that 
when you do get called out and it's super busy, you can just reach in the fridge and take out your plastic bag or if you're not a plastic person, take out your bowl or you've chopped up your veggies and just like, you know, dump them in, like I said, the slow cooker. A lot of people will do things where they put all the ingredients in a, in a freezer bag for the slow cooker and they'll freeze it. So you could do like literally a month's worth of meals or you could do a big bunch of meals like that where then you just cook them um, grilling. It's really quick. You can do pounds and pounds of meat on a grill in a relatively short amount of time. And just sure. like keeping it super simple, you know, go for, go for good ingredients, but keep the, keep the methods really simple. Don't try to, my friend always jokes like, don't try to master a five course dinner on a Tuesday night. <laughs> and yeah. it's so true. Like keep things really basic, like meat and potatoes, do that. Like what's wrong with that? Add a salad, add some, add some chopped up veggies or whatever, and you're good to go. Right. And then one more question. Um, you mentioned, you know, potentially staying away from things like dried fruit or, um, you know, the beef jerky. What would you recommend having them put on their rig? Because I know a lot of times they might get two or three back-to-back -back calls. Each call may be 45 minutes to an hour. They didn't have breakfast, and all of yeah. a sudden it's been six hours since they ate. So. Yeah, and if – I like, I kind of want to caveat that stuff. If that stuff works well for you, then totally do it. For me, the dried fruit thing was more of a like, I have a sugar problem and that was mm -hmm. actually feeding my problem, not helping. So, you know, if you're looking for super high energy things that are going to keep you going, having that, you know, those jerky packs or having those epic bars, having the stuff that's, that's pre-packaged. I mean, gosh, even something like a pouch of tuna and it, it doesn't sound very sexy, but you could just totally, you know, eat that out of the pouch or eat some rice out of a pouch. Like, you, you kind of have to get a little creative. There are companies out there now that are doing almost like MRE type mm -hmm. meals that are a bit more healthy. Um, so yeah, you can you can totally take it that way. But in general, those like those things that are preserved um, and aren't full of crap are going to be probably your best bet. Even if if it's stuff like a bunch of uh, coconut or some some nuts or whatever, and you're going to mix it up. And do you? Sorry, go ahead, Danny. Oh no, dude! If you got something to finish, I was just—I was gonna kind of jump in and just say uh, if that's—if you would suggest the same for like law enforcement, uh, you know, some of the some of the police officers I work with—they're on like that night shift. They're sitting yeah. in the car all day, and it seems like, you know, they're eating out of like gas stations and stuff like that. And, and the idea of meal prepping is tough for them. Yeah. You know? So. You could, I mean, if, if that's the case and they're looking for just a really super easy option, um, you know, even like a thermos full of stew or something that's really going to be kind of comforting and like filling could work. If you're, if you have like, you know, if you're, if you're trying to eat out of your car or something like that, you could, um, you could even do something like a Pete's Paleo type of meal thing where you're, you're getting the meals prepped. I know Paleo Nick also do, does stuff like this where you order and it's sent to your door. And it might be a bit more expensive than prepping it yourself, but for people that are like legit strapped for time and want to eat better, that could be an option where it comes prepped to you and it's all vacuum sealed and you just open it and you can even eat it cold or reheat it if you could, like that, those sorts of things. So you do get to a point at which you have to decide what's more important, price or convenience. You know, and if, if you want to keep eating out of 7-Eleven and you know it's killing your health, you, you've got to maybe at some point decide what the priority is there, but you know, you can get those little portable coolers that are insulated and take stuff with you and um, 
like things like hard-boiled eggs travel really well. You can just peel peel that and just have a little snack or whatever. So I think too, like another good point is that like any of these guys who are gonna be gone for an undetermined amount of time, just always always bring or make more than you think you need. Yeah. Um, I know that was like a big struggle for me when we were when I had to do that that leaning thing for Jack Street, and it was just like if I ever let myself get to the point where like either my my sugar or whatever got so low, that's when desperation kicks in. Yeah. And nobody wants a fucking desperate Callie Hinsman. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like, it's not a, it's not a good thing. And uh, so I always just had packed more than I thought I would need just because, like, learning, like, you know, just through mm-hmm. the process of just, like, you know, you never know when you might be stuck in traffic or whatever, you know. Um, and stuff, like, I guess, I you know, for somebody who is a very healthy eater, but, you know, your your beautiful pictures still incorporate things like, you know, sweeter things and you have um, a nice uh, broad array of foods. Uh, what would be your, like, death row meal? What would be the last thing um, that you eat and would it be paleo? <laughs> yeah, it would to- I've been asked this question before. I- it would totally be a big-ass steak with some kind of potato, probably like a baked potato with a bunch of Kerrygold butter on it. And I don't know, maybe some veggies in there if I really cared that much, but it would, it would absolutely be like a steak and potatoes. Nice. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's, that's the whole, that's a death row meal. That's really good. That's good. Do you, do you ever like, would you consider eating dessert? Is there ever a time where you're like, this is my favorite ice cream or this is my favorite, whatever. Totally. Um, I'm not the type of person that is like, I'm never going to eat anything, you know, sweet ever again but I've learned the point at which it you know like the frequency would become a problem so we eat at home most of the time which means we're not making dessert but if we go out and there's something that looks just incredible and unique and amazing I you know I might order it and I know what foods work really well with me like if I decided to eat ice cream I would have to be absolutely convinced that it would be worth how it's going to feel afterward and sometimes it is like, or for example, I went to, I went to Paris with a friend of mine a couple years ago and we were sitting on the, sitting on the lawn of the Chateau Versailles and having a little picnic out in the sun. The weather was gorgeous. We're in France. I was like, you know what? I'm going to eat some of that cheese and eat some of that bread. And I'm willing to accept whatever consequence may come from that because it was just part of the cultural experience. You know what I mean? So I think it's sometimes kind of knowing your own boundaries with that sort of stuff. If you're a celiac, for example, eating gluten is never going to be a thing, a good idea for you, probably. I'm going to guess like 100% of the time you're going to want to avoid that stuff. But for me, I was like, it's it's more, I have more freedom there. So either when the, the opportunity presents itself to travel or something just looks to die for on a menu, I might get it. But I ha- I know that I have to be willing to accept that it's going to make me feel atrocious later. So <laughs> as long as you're ready to own that sort of decision, I think that's where the freedom comes. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Luke Luke does that uh, frequently. Um, I think when when we're either out to eat or out getting a couple of drinks, it's like you know this this might be my fifth Moscow Mule, but I'm willing to suffer the consequences. <laughs> Kelly, I'm on a spending freeze. I don't do that type of stuff. <laughs> Ah, yeah, okay. Um, Well, cool. So, uh, Steph, we always like to just kind of get a peer into the mind of whoever our guest is. And uh, I know that you are a coach now, and you are an Olympic lifter yourself, uh, and you have 
sort of gravitated towards that sport. Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your love for the sport, how that came to be, and um, your role as a coach right now and some of the challenges or things that you've dealt with recently? Yeah, so I was introduced to Olympic weightlifting through CrossFit, and in my early 20s, I spent some time in the gym and did some gym rat sort of things and training, and I would bench press and use a Smith machine and act like I knew what I was doing. But, I, you know, I was just kind of going through the motions, and I didn't have really anybody to coach me, and I didn't really know what my potential was. Um, and then I spent a lot of time, as I said, racing mountain bikes and got significantly smaller in terms of my body size and um, kind of beat down and stuff like that, and then found CrossFit and gained some of that strength back. But I always – I was struck by how – like, I always felt great when I finished – you know, I got a PR and, like, Filthy 50 or whatever – but there was something almost irresistible about the feeling of getting stronger. And throughout, you know, competing in CrossFit and I've competed on a, a team in the 2013 regionals, you know, the, the events that I was the most excited to do, the type of training I was looked forward to was going heavy. And so when I started Stupid Easy Paleo kind of as my full-time gig, I was still trying to keep up with competitive CrossFit training at that same level and with the extra added stress in my job and, and now having this new business to foster and grow, it, it was too much for me to keep doing that sort of training. It was just really beating me down. So I decided I was going to just stick, stick to strength training. And that was in about September of 2013. Yep, I'm doing my math right. So at that point I decided I was just going to stick to lifting. And so I did a couple like strength cycles and some squatting programs and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, just continue to get stronger. And then when I moved back to the States in early 2014, I decided I was just going to be an Olympic lifter. And I don't say just to like demean it, but I was only going to focus on Olympic lifting. And, um, and so I've been doing that for the last, you know, year and a half. And it's totally frustrating at times. And some days you're like, I hate this. This is torture. Why am I doing this to myself? And then other days, you know, you hit that perfect lift or you increase your numbers or you just have a really good day on the platform. I don't know. To me, there's nothing more empowering. And I hate that word sometimes, but there's the confidence you get from that bleeds over into every aspect of life, I think. And so that aspect, uh, and there's something so primal about lifting. It's just like feeds this part of my brain that's like way deep in the wherever it is that's just like, yes, I need more of this. So, um, you know, I've, I've been working with my coach since on and off since 2011. And now that's the gym that I, that I've been going to. And he was like, Hey, do you want to do the USAW level one? And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll do that. So in April I did the cert and officially became, um, sanction to coach and that sort of stuff and helped some lifters at our gym through their first meet and it was terrifying because <laughs> uh only meets move really fast in some cases and I was coaching the guys and um it's cool because we have a really great gym and people are super respectful and we're definitely a family and a community and um coaching has been really really fun um and I get to you know getting to share in those little victories that the athletes make is just it's just the best feeling. Or like, for example, you, you cue somebody with a, maybe a cue they've never heard before. Cause that's your coaching style and they get a PR. I mean, that, there's nothing better than that because you've just helped them 
tap into something that they weren't able to do before. So that's that's probably the most amazing part. The most challenging part is just trying to figure it out in my schedule. So right now I'm officially coaching on Wednesday nights and I'd love to coach more, but uh, we have like we have one car in our house hold and so sometimes driving driving around and meeting everybody's schedule is a little bit tricky. But but yeah, I love the coaching aspect of it. And I, you know, I still compete and I'm, I'm still training as hard as I can given my, my goals and my circumstances. But to me, the coaching part is, is the way to give back, you know, and especially when you're in a small gym or you've been with the same coach for a long time and you get to kind of learn and be mentored um, by your coaches and, and then in turn pass that on. It's, it's just really cool. Yeah. It's really, really cool. That's great. I'm so glad that you ventured down that road because like, uh, I really like how honest you are about saying that it was terrifying coaching your guys through their first meet or whatever, because <laughs> it really can be. And the, and the thing is, if you go through your career or if a person goes through whatever, uh, sort of process that they're going through at any given time an evolution or a life cycle in your life, and you're not deathly afraid of something, or you don't feel like, you know, like you're really, really sort of dipping your toe into something that's outside your comfort zone, then, you know, you really, you really just sort of like reach a point of like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty complacent. I'm happy with where I'm at. Right. But I think it's great because you're going to have more and more of those experiences and you're just going to one day, you know, God forbid someone ever like gets hurt or something, but like, you know, there's going to be times where you like question yourself and all this stuff. Uh, but you know, like that's all, that's all kind of part of the process. That's great. Yeah, like uh, you're saying that that sort of you know dipping your toe and putting yourself out there. I've got a I'm planning this like online hangout next week. This is kind of a Q and A webinar type thing. And I ran through. I did want like a practice one last week, but this is the big one, and it's utterly terrifying me. So I know I must be onto something good. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's awesome, and uh, that's a good segue for us. So if people want to, like, let's just go through the. The, the list. I mean, if people want to find out more about, uh, you know, Stupid Easy Paleo, you have uh, your website, stupideasypaleo.com, correct? That's correct. And how else can they get in touch with you or find you at a seminar or, um, you know, even receive coaching? Yeah, so I'm, I'm anywhere on social media where you can type in Stupid Easy Paleo. I'm pretty sure I got into game early enough where I own all of those account names and stuff like that. So, like, I just joined Periscope not too long ago, and I'm on every platform. I, I love to, to be on Instagram, so that's probably my favorite place to hang out. But you can find me anywhere, YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest, et cetera, Facebook. Um, and then right now, so next – in just a couple weeks, I'm launching an online program that is uh, it's called Healthy, Happy, Harder to Kill. It's going to be a combination of nutrition, fitness, and mindset work for about six weeks, and that's going to be like an online program. And then in the fall, I'm probably going to open up some spots for coaching uh, more one-on-one -on -one for people for either nutrition or if they're looking to get into uh, strength training or Olympic lifting and stuff like that. And I've got so many things I want to do. It's so... It's so frustrating because uh, I just walk around all the time thinking, oh, this would be great to do, but you know, just finding the time to get it done. But eventually, the plan is to offer some uh, some basic strength programs that people can purchase through the site and and stuff like that. So lots and lots of room to grow and expand and things that I'm interested in doing. Yeah, but, uh, that's yeah. great. It seems like there's uh, there's no shortage of uh, creativity in what you do too, which is awesome. Are do you take all your own photographs? I do. Yeah. Wow. It's great. Yeah. 
photography has been uh, an interesting way for me to kind of reconnect with the creative side of myself. And sure, when I was a kid, I would do lots of creative things when I was into art and drawing and whatnot. But then I started studying science. And so I kind of lost some of that. And so photography has been a really cool way to bring that aspect of, of that back into my life. And I just, I love it. If I could just take pictures all day long and play around with that, I probably would. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's so fantastic to have that balance. Well, great. Um, yeah, you, you sound like you, uh, you need yourself a little free intern down there. Um, <laughs> you know, they exist. You can just put a shout out there, basically make someone your bitch all day long, but you know, Fisher is sitting right here listening. <laughs> oh, Fisher. Sorry. Our intern. I'm, I'm so sorry. Did I offend you? <laughs> Interns are wonderful. Notice he doesn't speak because uh, we forbade him. That's not him. part of the job. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Guys, any other questions for Steph, though? I feel like so super, super stoked that we had her on and, um, you know, just finally got to meet you after, like, just following you weirdly online and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's been great to be on the show. And um, I've been uh, – Steve planted the idea – quite some time ago and I'm, I'm glad it finally came to fruition. Yeah. And then you have your own podcast, correct? Oh yeah. I forgot to mention the podcast. Yeah, I do. Uh, I started a podcast a couple months ago. It's called harder to kill radio. And, uh, I've just been interviewing all the freaking fascinating people that I know who deal with either nutrition or fitness or mindset work. And I just like to talk to them about what they do and why they do it and why they're so fired up about it. And uh, it's been it's been pretty cool. Like the show is totally taken off. I was afraid to start a podcast at first because I thought nobody's gonna listen to it because there's a million podcasts. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, last week we were sitting at the uh, the number one spot in New and Noteworthy, so on iTunes. So that was you know kind of a mind blowing sort of event. And nice. Well, I think uh, you should share with us your secret when we get off. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna I say, honestly it don't know. Reminds, I thought it kind of reminded a little bit of our story. Oh, really, Danny? <laughs> I'm still waiting for ours to take off. All right, Steph, favorite favorite movie real quick? The Goonies. Goonies? Nice. Is that like, a, is there sentimental, just like nostalgia associated with that? I think it's just because when I saw it as a kid, I was like, oh my God, these kids are so rad. Yeah. They can, they can do anything. I want to be just like that. You know, have, have some great adventure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's a good classic. And then do you have like a favorite, we'll call that adventure. Let's go into action. Do you like any cheesy action movies? You know, recently we saw Mad Max Fury Road. And oh, I was like, okay. <laughs> Z dragged me. He was like, do you want to go see Mad Max? And I was like, fine. <sighs> within about five minutes, I was like, this is the most amazing slash yes. terrifying slash, oh my God, movie I've ever seen. It was <laughs> It was amazing. <laughs> I really loved it. Oh, good. Did you see it in 3D? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah. See, if you if you care <laughs> about the experience, you see it in 3D. I saw it in 3D. Uh, I went by myself uh, on like a Sunday afternoon. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do me. I'm going out. I'm having a girls' day, and yeah. it Callie, was the best. <laughs> Kelly, it's a, a when you go on a solo Sunday matinee, <laughs> that's a pivotal point in one's life. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> You're, you're one step away from crazy cat lady status. I know. But I know. They, I had, they said no cats allowed, though, so I couldn't bring <laughs> anyone. <laughs> well, cool. I loved yeah. it. I love Mad Max. That's awesome. And then we have your playlist. We're going to throw that up. There's a lot of good, like, throwback, like you said, grungy kind of uh, 
metal music. It's awesome. It's really good. So <laughs> I was making the list and I thought, gee, no one's going to be able to tell when I went to high school by looking at this list. <laughs> no, they're all good. I was waiting for like a Jagged Little Pill song in there or something. You know, I almost, almost put a Katy Perry song, but <laughs> I, I wanted to save my reputation. So. Yeah, you put Sia for like a Sia for a crossover type, like to bridge the gap. Yes. I, yeah, I've been listening to Sia for a long time. Uh, I used to be, as I said, super into mountain bikes, and there's a really old mountain bike video, kind of classic called Rome, and I think it's Rome, or it might be the, the follow-up to that, but there was a Sia song in it, and I didn't, that's the first time I ever heard of her, and this was years and years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was funny, because then I didn't hear her for a really long time, and then I started hearing her more, you know, her more new songs that came out, and I was like, that sounds like Sia, and then, you know, sure enough, there she was, but... But I think yeah. she has a she has a really amazing voice. Yeah, she's very very talented. Uh, well, speaking of talented, uh, you definitely are. And if people aren't following you on Instagram, Facebook, all of your, um, you know, Twitter and all of the social media, they need to immediately because it's just mm -hmm. a well-rounded approach to um, stupid easy paleo. I mean, it's just a it's a no-brainer. And I think that people, you know, once they sort of hear this, and also if they haven't heard of you, kind of like read through your website a little bit. You have a, a very tongue-in-cheek approach, and uh, and it's all just about um, your passion for, you know, just imp improving one's lifestyle. And it's just so amazing when people can take what they've learned and their experiences and really just put it out there for other people to latch on to. So thanks so, so much for chatting with us today. I'm excited that you guys had me on. I appreciate it. For sure. All right, guys. I think uh, that'll about do it. Thanks a lot, Steph. Thanks, yeah, Steph. you're welcome. Good yeah, Steph. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. There are so many ways to get to know Steph. Visit her website, stupideasypaleo.com, and find her on virtually every social media platform under the name, you guessed it, Stupid Easy Paleo. And don't forget to tune into her podcast, Harder to Kill Radio. There's a link to it in our show notes. And finally, we have a couple of announcements coming out of Power Athlete HQ. We have hats. That's right, people. If you visit shop.powerathletehq.com, you will notice that we have three new hats available for purchase. They all vary in selection and size and all that good stuff. Um, and there's some weird head hole dimension thing that you can choose from that I don't fully understand. But if you're a guy, you probably do. Uh, just go ahead and visit shop.powerathletehq.com to look at all those badass selections. They are selling like crazy right now, so be sure to get yours soon. And let's not forget that Wade's Army 2015 campaign is kicking off Wednesday, August 12th, and running strong up until Wade's Day, November 12th. Join the fight against neuroblastoma and help us reach our goal of fundraising $100,000. We've made so many great strides in assisting the funding of two pediatric phase one clinical trials and assisting in the treatment costs for three young boys afflicted by the disease. Now we're aiming even bigger to fund our very own study and do our part in solving kids' cancer. Enlist at wadesarmy.org by clicking the Donate Now badge and claim your limited edition Wade's Army uniform. That's it for this week. Until next time, bye!